Vegas Inc. Radio. I'm Dellen Goldberg, host of the show and business editor of Vegas Inc. and the Las Vegas Sun. Over the next half hour, we'll be discussing developments on the Strip, both good and bad, and uh, the cookie butter craze. If you've never had it, you might want to run out and taste it if you can get your hands on some. But first, we'll turn our attention to Sheldon Adelson, who is the king of making news here in Las Vegas and abroad, and some pretty controversial comments he made recently about online poker. Um, joining us is gaming reporter Ed Kmenda. Welcome, Ed. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, so Sheldon Adelson, he's not one to be known to shy away from speaking his mind. And recently he wrote an editorial that spoke his mind and got a lot of people very yeah. angry. Uh, tell us a little bit about what yeah. he said. Sheldon Adelson, who has been making all of his money in Macau, uh, on games like Baccarat, which is far from online. He recently went on Forbes, which has a gigantic uh, readership, and basically wrote a column that told online gaming to get off his lawn, and he was urging state lawmakers to make it illegal for uh, people to play uh, poker or anything online for real money because uh, he thinks it's a societal train wreck waiting to happen. Uh, and he's just not a, a supporter of it. His argument is that if you look at the, the revenue numbers, uh, entertainment and food and retail far outpaces gaming, so he has no intentions of really jumping on the bandwagon for online gaming. Plus, Adelson can really say whatever he wants because he is the richest uh, casino operator in the world. And, uh, yeah, he's uh, he's pretty much sparked an outrage amongst local poker players so well that buys you a lot of uh freedom of lip i guess yeah it does he's 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 definitely using it as well i mean he he went as far as starting a website uh, a few weeks after that column it's stopinternetgambling.com and it's it's the same premise he's urging lawmakers to outlaw online gaming and he's really pulled out all the stops you know now, this is obviously in response to our own uh, legislation here in Nevada allowing for money real online poker, and yeah. there's push for federal legislation, um, or at least a state-by-state -state solution. Right. And now I have to ask, I mean, he made his money in large part on gambling, so mm. is, is he being a hypocrite and trying to protect his turf and profits by saying this, or... Do you think the evidence bears out that it really doesn't pay off to do um, gambling? I think that the evidence is clear that it is absolutely vital for casinos to get into the game because if you look at the pace of the technology changing in your pocket from your tablet to your cell phone, that's what players are going to be using 10, 20 years from now uh, in the casinos. And um, quite frankly, they're losing interest in the traditional slot machines and table games. They want something different because they could just play poker at home now uh, or they, they'll soon be able to. I mean, in Nevada, you, you certainly can. But... Um, so, so I don't know. I have a feeling that uh, it'll take um, uh, Adelson's right-hand man to show up into his office one day when, when California has it legalized and they're rolling in millions and they say, hey, Sheldon, you're really going to have to get into this now because um, 
this is uh, this is where the money's at, and and I think that Adelson will go toward the money for sure. So absolutely, and I mean, do we know if while he's saying this publicly in back rooms is Las Vegas Sands? Are they tinkering with their own technology to be able to pull the button if need be for their own online gaming? Enterprise. My gut tells me that they probably have somebody who's looked into it. I mean, it's it seems like a sunken cost to me, uh, or it seems like it would be a sunken cost to Adelson to do a little bit of research. Um, I think that he might be feeling it out, publishing these columns to see what actually happens. Uh, are they actually going to listen to him, which uh, Nevada legislator has told us uh, that they're not. They, they've already legalized it. So um, I think Adelson's a very smart man. And I certainly believe that he probably is looking into it in some form or another. So, Absolutely. And, I mean, he's entitled to his opinion. It's obviously, while he has a lot of influence, that he looks like he's going to lose this battle. But it sounds like in trying to protect his turf, he maybe created a bigger backlash. A lot of people are very upset with his comments and are willing to put their money where their mouth is. Yeah, absolutely. And there, uh, there's this longtime poker insider in Las Vegas. His name is uh, Nolan Dalla. Uh, and he has a popular blog uh, frequented by a huge local poker population here in Vegas. Uh, and he basically called for a boycott of the Venetia, Venetian poker room um, for an entire week. Uh, it's, it's a little hard to tell how much of an impact it's actually had because uh, Las Vegas Sands, uh, I, I was unable to get a hold of them <laughs> for comment. And they probably wouldn't open up their poker books to you anyway, No, they, they, they certainly wouldn't, but uh, Adelson's remarks has, has also pulled out people like um, John Pappas, who is the uh, director of the Poker Player Alliance in Washington, D.C., and he says, well, he had nothing to do with this, uh, this Dalla boycott. He certainly heard a lot of uh, disgruntled... Um, comments about Adelson's behavior lately, and it seems poker players really aren't happy with what's going on because uh, online poker is huge to them. I mean, this is where they make their money, and uh, they certainly want to see it happen. So, when do you think this was smart? I mean, by all accounts, at least the the people who are pushing for online or had been pushing for online poker in Nevada say that this, in fact, won't kill bricks and mortars casinos. It will burgeon them up in some ways because you'll create a new generation of players, different kind of players that'll get so enchanted with online playing that they'll have to come to Las Vegas to try it in real life. I mean, is Sheldon shooting himself in the foot, do you think? Well, like I said, he is making all more than 70% of his money in Macau. And the stories you hear out of Macau are... They're taking out the cafe and the restaurants to make room for more table games. Um, in Las Vegas, especially, um, where everybody's trying to offer something that's completely different uh, than what they have been, um, I think that, I don't know, it, what, what it tells me is that he's probably not shooting himself in the foot that much because he's making his money somewhere else. Um, right, if everybody in Vegas boycotts him, it's, it would be a hit, but nothing like Macau. Yeah, because people are still going to the, his restaurants and they're still going to shows and they're still uh, paying him in other ways. Vegas has sort of uh, turned away from gambling uh, in a certain sense. And it's not uh, that they're not offering enough. It's that people are spending their money in other ways. 
Um, and this is, uh, as far as the, the money pie goes, gaming has become a, a sliver almost. And uh, Adelson is just um, taking the freedom he has to, to say whatever he wants about it. So, you know. And I guess he's allowed to. I mean, he, he's earned his, his voice. Yeah, essentially. And it's funny because his stock price, I mean, before uh, he became Sheldon Adelson, was down to something like a buck. And um, it's it's unbelievable. So, well, it'll be interesting to see what this means um, for the Sands and uh, the Venetian going forward. If they ever do get into online poker, or if mm-hmm. we can expect a new column for by Sheldon Adelson. I think there'll be many more uh, throughout the process. So we'll see. Well, Mr. Adelson, if you're listening, feel free to write for Vegas Inc. We will accept <laughs> your columns all the time. Absolutely. Um, let's move on to Strip Project, um, our dueling Ferris wheels, which we are not allowed to call Ferris wheels. Um, we have two observation wheel projects taking place on the Strip. There is Skyview, which is across the street from Mandalay Bay on the south end of the Strip, and then Midstrip uh, Project Link, which is a project by Caesars Entertainment, and that is going to include the High Roller, which is um, destined to be the biggest in the world. Mm-hmm. Talk about the difference in these two projects. One seems to be going gangbusters, and the other one we haven't seen a lot of action on in months. Right. The the I, I just recently wrote a story about the Skyview project, which is almost like the uh, the little guys. You know, it's it's almost like a David and Goliath type situation. You have um, these these developers, um, David Gaffin and Howard Bullock, that want to build this 500 foot observation wheel called Skyview. Uh, a few months after they announced their project, uh, which was, I think, $300 million projected, Caesars Entertainment, uh, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, uh, casino companies in the world, announces the Link Project, which has a 550-foot observation wheel. And so it was almost it was a battle uh, from the get-go. And Skyview sort of went gangbusters to begin with, and they started building these giant support columns, and they had these beautiful renderings done and published on the website. And then they ran into some financial trouble. Uh, Financing dried up for for different reasons, none of which are uh, extremely clear. Uh, They dealt with a a foreclosure attempt, which was prompted by a, a failed debt restructuring, they had several liens uh, put, tacked onto them for, uh, from unpaid contractors, and they've really never recovered from all that. And Caesars, on the other hand, has been building, and if you walk down the strip now, you can almost see the shape of a wheel, wheel forming there. So they are, um, they are, are they're doing well, and they're far ahead of Skyview, although uh, the site is still there. It's still visible. You can see this... this uh, dust cloud essentially floating through through the thing and uh yeah it's it's unclear whether or not that's actually going to happen so. and skyview the site it's it's kind of sad i mean like you said they they went all out in the beginning and so there's the sticks if you will or the legs of right. the i won't call it a ferris ferris wheel um but there's no wheel and i mean it's been like that for several months and you don't see workers there you don't see right. trucks um, last we reported earlier this year that parts were being made overseas and in Arizona, but we haven't seen any evidence of those getting to Vegas either. No, we haven't. Uh, yeah, there hasn't been a construction crane on the site since September 
of uh, 2012, and it, there was a, there was a few stories that came out in January of this year saying that these parts were made, and there would be this grand journey from Arizona to Las Vegas with these huge, uh, 350,000 pound wheel units, and um, but none of that has really uh, made an appearance yet on the strip, and uh, the developers say that. Uh, financing is in progress and that they're going to resume construction. But there's also rumors because people wonder what's going on there is saying that uh, the financing is still rocky. And the, the reasoning behind that perhaps is the fact that Caesars is going gangbusters and maybe two, two observation wheels is one too many. And uh, it is sort of a sad story, you know. And for now, absolutely. Um, for now, the commissioners who oversee the strip in terms of zoning and development um, and permits, they're giving them time, the developers time, to prove that the project is, in fact, on track, as they say. But right. um, I know you talked to one commissioner who said, basically, this summer, push comes to shove, they want to see some evidence of progress or they're going to have to start considering the site maybe one of these abandoned construction sites? Right. I think that that's the, the natural chain of things. We'll, we'll get to that point where they have to figure out if this is going to be Skyview or if this is going to be open to somebody else. Uh, this summer, um, well, I talked to Mary Beth Scout, which is the commissioner in charge of that district, and she said that the Skyview folks have a few permits that are uh, up for expiration and they will have to show up and try to get new permits. Uh, so this summer will tell us a lot, is what she said. And um, you're right. I mean, they might get permits. They, but but you know, if there's still no work being done the following year, I think we're going to have another echelon type deal, and uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. The last thing we need, although I guess we can look and see the no progress from. The high roller over at the link. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's so. supposed to open in 2014, is that correct? Yeah, it was It was uh, pitched as an 18-month project in late 2012, and they are pretty close to actually uh, doing that. I mean, they have tenants already ready to, to step in. Uh, construction crews are working every day. And, yeah, that seems to be... Um, that, that's another interesting part of the story because they did announce their project later than Skyview. And here, they're so much farther along, and looks like they'll be done next year. So, Well, the battle of the dueling wheels continues. And, uh, yeah. and we'll see if there's a third one coming up here pretty soon, which uh, there's been rumors of that as well. Absolutely. So, Everyone knows every city needs three wheels. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because I saw this, um, this study recently that said that the bigger the wheel, the more money uh, it, uh, it attracts, which I guess makes sense if you're, I mean, you get a certain... Uh, uh, height above everybody else to see the city. You'll pay more for it, but I don't know. Yeah, and I guess you can market yourself as tallest in the world. I mean, the high roller is supposed to be the biggest, right? At least... Yeah, it's, it's supposed to be one or two. It's supposed to be the biggest, and uh, certainly the biggest in the United States, so... Which is great for that Caesars. Not so good, maybe, if you're Skyview or unnamed Ferris wheel number three because how do you compete with that? Well, that's the thing. I mean, you have this giant company that has the money, uh, has the people, and has the imagination to sort of put it. And that's not to say Skyview doesn't have the imagination. They obviously have the courage to do this. But if you're an investor and you're you're marketing a project uh, as a project that needs outside investment, uh, it might uh, scare me uh, to to, to get a new project uh, that's competing with somebody like Caesars. Um, So... 
Absolutely. Well, thanks so much, Ed. Thanks. That's reporter Ed Comenda, who's our gaming and consumer reporter for Vegas Inc. and the Las Vegas Sun. You're listening to Vegas Inc. Radio, part of Waking Up at the Sun. We're here every Monday at 7 a.m. on KUNV 91.5 The Source. You can follow this coverage and all of our stories at VegasInc.com or LasVegasSun.com. Joining us now is reporter Eli Siegel, who covers uh, real estate and, in some days, cookies. Um, We'll start with the real estate first. Uh, We were just talking to Ed about developments that are gaining steam and losing steam on the Strip, and you've written about a couple real estate developments that uh, seem to have new life breathed into them, uh, both Desert Blue and Manhattan West. Uh, Tell us about those and what's going on. Well, most recently, uh, Desert Blue, which is right near the Strip, it's just west of I-15, just west of the Strip, uh, just a little, just you know, a block or two north of the Rio. That is a mothballed timeshare project, or it had been mothballed for about three years. Just sat there untouched, exposed to the elements, and it was being developed by uh, Wyndham, which is a you know a big uh, hospitality company uh, out of the East Coast, and they started construction on that in April of 2008. And they mothballed it less than a year later during the national economic meltdown. And then in late June, just a, you know just a week or so ago, uh, in some investors bought it for 117 million dollars, which is uh, just a, a huge price tag. Phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, they they paid a lot for it, and they've restarted construction. I think actually, I think construction had already started before they bought it, so it, it's it's. Back on track. It has been back on track for at least a month or two now. I want to say is what I had heard. And uh, but now that they've bought it, it's they've got construction loans lined up. Uh, almost 100. I think about 160, 170 million dollars worth of construction loans lined up already. And uh, I'm told that they want to finish the project in uh, in about a year to a year and a half. And it's going to remain Wyndham and timeshares. Correct. Yeah, it'll be a Wyndham branded project, and under the original plans, which I believe they're holding to, it's uh, supposed to be a 19-story tower with about 280 timeshare units, which are basically, you know, it's like a, it's, it's like a condo that people buy a portion of uh, for vacations mostly. And now the timeshare market, I'm guessing, if they paid 117 million dollars for this, there's obviously growth or it's fairly robust. Yeah, the timeshare market in Vegas does does pretty well. It's it's kind of a natural spot for for timeshares because it's such a big tourist destination. People come here all the time, including a lot of wealthy people who don't want to have to deal with hotels and they want to know that they can come to the same place every time. But at the same time, they don't want to spend so much money that they buy their own condo here and then they have to maintain it and, you know, operate and all that stuff. So th- so this way it's it's kind of a shared responsibility and they they only own a own a portion of it. And so, so yeah, and sales are picking up. I see sales all the time being recorded for, for timeshare units. And uh, Marriott is adding a third tower to its, uh, I think it's called a Grand Chateau project over on Harmon right near the Strip. Uh, it's already got two towers and uh, so, so they're obviously expanding too. So it's, uh, it's, a, it's a pretty strong market, yeah. Excellent. Well, and this is one of a couple um, shuttered mothballed projects that are getting new vigor and, and continuing. Um, Manhattan West is another one you wrote about recently that we thought had pretty much been written off, and now yeah. there's it's got new chance. Yeah, absolutely. If you drive by Manhattan West, I think anyone would recognize it. It it literally looks like it got hit with rockets and bombs. I mean, it's been it looks like it has just been torn to shreds, and the guts have been ripped out. And in actuality, it was just a a massive uh, you know mixed use office residential retail project that went bust. 
and the developer pulled the plug when he lost his financing. And this was, you know, three, four years ago, something like that during the, during the uh, economic meltdown. And he recently sold it to some local developers. And uh, they're also, they have some partners out of San Francisco who they, uh, who they bought it with. And they're planning to finish it. And it will no longer be called Manhattan West, though. But st- so sticking with the New York theme, it's, uh, it's now called the Gramercy. Uh, but they are largely sticking to the original plans to have a couple of small office buildings, a couple of small apartment buildings, and uh, one apartment tower. And originally, though, I should say under the original plans, all, all the what's now apartment units, they were going to be for sale condos. But otherwise, the, you know, the buildings are, are pretty much the same. Gotcha. And when you, you mentioned the seller, you know, and obviously, Wyndham, do they make money off these deals or are they just trying to get back their shirts? A lot of times they take a big loss on the sale and they're just getting whatever money they can. And frankly, a lot of times they're probably just happy to sell it. Uh, to be done with it. Just to be done with it, just to recoup any kind of losses they can. But I don't know about Wyndham because I, I couldn't find out how much exactly they had spent on the project itself. But at least with Manhattan West... I'm told that that developer spent somewhere around seventy or eighty million dollars on the project and sold it for twenty. The whole thing, the land, the buildings, everything. So he obviously took a, a substantial loss on yeah. that deal. But it's better than nothing. It's better than losing it to foreclosure or having to file bankruptcy and dealing with the courts and and trying to save it and you know keep ownership of it and then ultimately losing it. And so uh, sometimes you just have to you, you sell it for what you can get. Absolutely, and we've seen similar stuff with the shops in Summerlin and, uh, you know, Genting buying the uh, site of the Echelon and the Strip. Do you think this bodes well for other properties? I mean, are, are we going to say goodbye to all our abandoned construction sites? At, at this pace, it, I mean, it, we might. Yeah, it really could be. I mean, they're, they're getting picked up uh, at a pretty, you know, regular clip here of sorts. And there Now, there are definitely still a lot of mothballed projects out there. The most... Uh, high profile of them being Fontainebleau uh, on the North Strip, which, you know, Carl Icahn, the famous activist investor, he bought it out of bankruptcy for cents on the dollar, you know, three, four years ago. And that thing was a total bust. It's still sitting there. Um, it looks done, too, when you drive past it. Which is the worst part. Yeah, it, and it, it, it's just there. It's, it's getting close. But there, I, I'm told that the whole interior is, is basically a ghost town. It's just an empty shell. There, and they have they're they're actually still still has a lot of work to do on there but but yeah I mean that's that's the next big one to be bought but you're right uh, the former echelon site that was another failed busted you know boom era project that went nowhere and it was recently bought by Genting group out of Malaysia f- again for cents on the dollar I think they got it for four million an acre it's an 87 acre project which is just such a huge discount and then you've got Manhattan West shops at Summerlin uh, is now on back on track for construction and, uh, for completion that was mothballed and, and then the new owners, which were, you know, they had spun off from the previous owners. Now they're saying they're going to, they're going to finish it. So, so yeah, there are definitely still some out there, but at, at this rate, they are getting bought. So who knows? They might all be taken care of. Well, that's good news for Las Vegas. Um, we, we had enough bad news with these projects not coming to fruition. So now it's time for us to see yeah. what can be done with them. Yeah. And these projects, they really scar 
the valley too. They they look bad. They're very obvious. And you know, to a newcomer, they might, or you know, someone just visiting, they might think that these are ongoing construction projects. But anyone who's been here more than more than a couple of months knows that these are are failed real estate projects that were victims of the recession. So it's good to see them both, I think, for morale and for the economy to see them actually getting finished. Absolutely. No more daily reminders. Oh, yeah. Um, Well, let's shift topics a little bit to your and my favorite subject, cookies. Um, Trader Joe's randomly has had a mad run on a product that they call uh, speculose cookie butter, yeah. and it's delicious. Um, but people are lining up before the stores open at the Four Valley Trader Joe's locations, waiting for the stuff, and in many cases, it's being rationed. What's the craze? Yeah, there is a serious cookie butter craze going on right now, and it is one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. It's probably the most peculiar story that I've ever worked on. It is really something else. So basically, you're absolutely right. There are four Trader Joe's in, in the Las Vegas Valley, and basically every morning right now for the past month or so, there is literally a line of people. Sometimes it's only three or four. Sometimes it's twenty. Uh, there's a line of people waiting outside before the stores open at eight a.m. and they're waiting for cookie butter. And what makes it even more just makes the whole the story so so interesting is that almost every single person waiting is Hawaiian, and they're buying this cookie butter to send home as gifts. And because there's a big gift-giving culture in Hawaii known as uh, omayagi, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, but that's, you know, it's, it's, what it's, it's a Japanese word. And basically what it does is it compels Hawaiians who are out of town or if they're coming to visit back on the islands, it compels them to, to bring presents for everyone, for friends, neighbors, coworkers, relatives, doesn't matter. They have to bring gifts. They have to come bearing presents. And... Trader Joe's is extremely popular among Hawaiians who don't have any Trader Joe's back home. And because Vegas is such a popular tourist spot for... For Hawaiians particularly. Exactly. I mean, people Hawaiians refer to Vegas as the Ninth Island. They come here so often that this is where they stock up on gifts is they come, they come here, they get driven or they, you know, they take a cab or whatever to the Trader Joe's and they stock up on stuff. And right now this product, Speculoos Cookie Butter, which is basically just smashed up biscuits, like European style cookies. And that's made into a spread. It's basically like, tastes like spreadable gingerbread cookies with absolutely no nutritional value to it, unlike peanut butter, which has some protein. But, but this, lots of deliciousness. Lots of deliciousness, but it's just it's just creamy cookies, basically. And they are lining up every day to buy as many jars as they can to bring them home as gifts. I talked to people who said that they have never even heard of cookie butter, and they're getting requests all the time. People who Hawaiians who live in Vegas, they're getting requests all the time from family and friends back home to send them cookie butter. There is something going on in the islands over there that people are just going nuts for this stuff. And Hawaiians here, a lot of people here, they don't even understand it. They're not even buying it for themselves, but there is there's certainly a craze and it's having some spillover effects here in, in Nevada and it's uh, it's pretty funny. That's amazing and so much so that certain Trader Joe's ration it. They only yeah. get a couple cases and you're allowed one jar. Absolutely right. They get two or three cases a day, 12 jars a case and not every not every day but a lot of times the managers are they're literally only selling one jar at a time to people because there's such a line and there's such demand. And they also keep the jars up front in the manager's booth. They don't stock it on the shelves anymore to prevent people from, you know, sprinting head, you know, 
going crazy and going right for the aisles and elbowing each other or possibly even fighting to get their hands on this cookie butter. It's really it's really something else. That's amazing. And Trader Joe's is the only one who sells it. There's similar products out there, but they yeah. are not the specific same. No, this is a, a private label, it's called, where someone, someone else makes it. Nobody knows because Trader Joe's doesn't disclose it. But there's a manufacturer, I be- <clears throat> excuse me, I believe in the Netherlands, uh, that makes this. Trader Joe's puts their own brand and label on it, and they call it Speculoos Cookie Butter. They sell it in their own stores. That's the only place you can get it. And that's really the only place where this craze is going on. And like you said, you can get similar spreads and, and, and also Speculoos, just the cookies. You can get them at basically any grocery store, as far as I know. You can even get the cookies at Trader Joe's, but people are only going crazy for the spread and they're only going crazy for the spread at Trader Joe's. It's really, it's crazy. It's amazing. Well, I encourage all our listeners. We got a covert jar in the office and yeah. it was very good. So if you can get your hands on it, it's worth a spoonful. Yeah, it's 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 very sweet. Yes, yeah, spoonful was enough for me. Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Eli. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks a lot. Eli Siegel is a reporter for Vegas Inc. and the Las Vegas Sun. You can follow his coverage and all our stories at Vegas inc.com or lasvegasun.com. You're listening to Vegas Inc. Radio, part of Waking Up with the Sun. We're here every Monday at 7 a.m. on KUNV 91.5 The Source. I'm your host, Dylan Goldberg, business editor of Vegas Inc. Thanks to Steven Zeller, our producer, and the entire KUNV team. And thanks to you for listening. Enjoy your day. Enjoy your day.